Well, we are continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, so if you would turn there, please, and particularly to chapter 7. Last week, Devin began chapter 7, going through verses 1 through 6, and this morning, We're going to continue beginning with verse 7 through verse 11. And if you would, read along with me. Jesus is speaking and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask them. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, we thank you for that word which stands forever. We thank you that the word never fades. And may it not fade today in our minds and in our hearts, and in our hearing, as we read the words that your Son spoke. And we ask that through your Spirit, you would speak to us, that we might hear, that we might understand, that we might live for your glory through the transforming work of your Spirit through the Word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, last week, <clears throat> excuse me, Devin, <clears throat> Devin spoke from 7, 1 through 6 on not judging sinfully, being humbly aware of our own sin and being discerning with others. And often we see in his sermon, Jesus using a therefore or so to connect verses that follow. But but that doesn't happen here. He goes from do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And then he doesn't go, therefore, he just says, ask. And he, he goes into this, what appears to be just a total difference in his direction. He, it seems, it just doesn't seem to connect in some way. Uh, And and I know that feeling. It was just a few weeks ago. uh, I was at our care group. Marilyn was in North Carolina, which will tell you why I did what I did, but she's in North Carolina and the care group is sitting around. We're talking, we're talking about this one topic and there was a pause and there was something that was said in this topic we were talking about that made my, my brain go totally in a different direction. And so I just piped up, so what are we doing for Thanksgiving as a care group? And, and everybody just looked at me like, what? We're, 
is that where where'd you come from and and it was in that moment I realized Marilyn would have helped me here, but she was not she was not there and and there was there was no connection with what I asked and the previous conversation and Lauren Moore is actually the one she's just she still looks at me to this day. How did you get there? And 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 it can feel the same way here in this passage. How how do we get from dogs and pigs and being underfoot and turned to attack you to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. What how does it fit in the context of not just these passages, but the entire sermon and the entire book? Well, the, the immediate context here is, is the wisdom we need to learn how to re- relate to one in a, in a right way, to not sinfully judge, to, not, to humbly see our own sin, to wisely discern those around us. James, in chapter 1, tells us, he exhorts us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And we certainly need wisdom in our relationships to not judge sinfully. We need wisdom in our relationships to see the speck in our own eye before we try to take out the speck in our brother's eyes. We, we need the wisdom of God to be discerning about what is what casting pearls before swine is all about and what we should do and what we should not do. The wisdom we need to fulfill all the demands and requirements of this sermon is the, the larger context and, and they are demands as we have read through this Sermon on the Mount as we began in chapter 5. We see the larger context in play here and we recognize that the requirements that Jesus has, has been demanding of us, that he has been laying upon us verse after verse, starting with the Beatitudes, looking at our own lives and being honest with who we are and what we struggle with, they are impossible to keep. The Sermon on the Mount is just, in, in, in a human perspective, it is not doable. In the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, in the breadth and the depth of this amazing sermon given by our Savior, of the demands that he gives us, <clears throat> they can feel overwhelming. Just last week's passage, judge not that you be judged. And, and Devin gave this wonderful illustration of driving behind somebody who was driving interminably slow and, and judging that person for how they were driving. I do the same exact thing. And God, and Mary, every Sunday that we drive to this meeting, Marilyn laughs at me. Because God puts somebody in front of me who is slow. She, she takes joy in my struggle. She just laughs. And, and she's right because I, I'm just judging them in my heart. And you see that just one passage there. But then you go back through the rest of the sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do not be angry. Do not lust. Do not get divorced. And on and on. Do not be anxious for anything. 
And, and we, we read those words and we just think, how can I possibly succeed and fulfill the requirements the Sermon on the Mount? How is it possible, as Jesus says, to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? How can I live for Christ as I ought to live? It's, it's a sermon that, that makes many of us, if not all of us, ask questions. How can I keep forgiving others when they sin against me? Or how can I always be patient? Or how can I not judge? Or how can I be meek? Or how can I hunger and thirst for righteousness as perfectly as my heavenly Father? I've tried dozens of times. I, I can't even read the Bible through in a year. How am I going to do this? How am I going to fulfill the law and the prophets? And the reality, the reality that we discover in the reading of this sermon is that sometimes these realities are not always real to us. The Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness and the sincerity and the humility and purity and love that Jesus expects of us, his followers. But in this passage that we just read, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This, this passage assures us that God makes that possible. That the gifts that we need, the desires that we have to live this sermon in our lives is possible. This sermon begins really with an acknowledgement in chapter 5, an acknowledgement of our bankruptcy, 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are, are we poor in spirit? Oh yeah, we are poor in spirit. And, and it provides for us a model to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a, this is a prayer that really just encapsulates the entirety of the Sermon on the Mountain. And here, Jesus becomes very, more, very specific, much more intent on helping us understand how we can do the impossible, how we can live in the kingdom of God for Christ, glorifying his name, honoring him with our lives. And it's as simple as these words on this page. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. These three imperatives knock and the door will be opened. And it is twice repeated. Jesus stresses it and and he just says, listen, this is what I have for you. Persistence and sincerity in your prayers. But but he goes on beyond that because he assures his followers that far, far from demanding the impossible from us, far from demanding what seems to be impossible in the Sermon on the Mount, far from demanding that, He provides the means for us to do what is impossible. How kind he is. When you pray, Jesus says, you'll be on the pathway to becoming meek and hungry and thirsty for righteousness 
for being pure in heart, for loving, for being kind and being forgiving and being faithful and being merciful instead of giving judgment and not being critical and not unforgiving and not idolatrous and and not covetous. God answers our prayers is what Jesus is communicating here. Prayers that will ensure our spiritual growth. That is what this passage is about. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receive the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open seven and eight those verses jesus is saying i i want to ensure your spiritual transformation i you can't reform yourself oh but i can reform you i can transform you and here's how i will do it ask ask me ask me because i have your best at heart. I began a good work in you, the Lord says, and I will complete it. Ask. Asking, seeking, knocking is, is how we're going to see the character demands of the Sermon on the Mount and the kingdom of God fulfilled in our lives. So two points this morning, two points. One, the first one is a promise for help in time of need. And the second one is a contrast of epic proportions. The first one, a promise for help in time of need. That is seven, seven and eight. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The, these are the words of our Savior saying, listen, when you pray, ask. And then you're asking, seek. And then you're seeking, knock. And you will receive, you will find, and the door will be open to you. But he goes on. For everyone. So no one, no one is left out. There isn't a person sitting here who comes to the Lord and asks that is left out. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one to the one who knocks, it will be open. This, this is one of the most comforting promises in all of Scripture. In light of what what Jesus requires in his sermon and how impossible it is for us to fulfill those requirements in our own merits. Jesus meets the impossible. Jesus meets the impossible thing that you have. And it's talking about character. Contrary to popular interpretation by many Christians of this passage, it is not about praying for material things. That is not what this passage is about. It's about praying for spiritual help. It's praying to, to asking God, I, I need your character. I need to stop judging. I need help and not sinning through lusting. I need to be forgiven. I need your grace that I would hunger and thirst after you, your righteousness. So he tells us to pray. He says, I will overcome the impossible. You transforming, reforming yourself. I will overcome the impossible. When you pray, ask, seek and knock for what should be the most important thing in your life and my life, a knowledge of God. A knowledge of God through the working of the Holy Spirit that we might find grace and strength to live lives that honor God and to do so with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. 
Is this what you pray for? Is this what you pray for? Jesus is not offering a vending machine view of prayer. Just drop the coin in, pull the lever for what you want, and it comes out. And keep dropping coins in the machine until you get what you want. Be persistent enough, keep dropping coins, and God is just going to give you what you want. And we probably have seen or know numerous believers who approach this passage that way. And they miss the whole context in the Sermon on the Mount where God is saying, I want to transform you. I want you to bear the image of my son. I want to see the gospel alive in your life, reflected in your life. I want to see you find the joy of what it means to be a follower of Christ, the peace of what it means to be a follower of Christ, the strength of what it means to be a follower of Christ, the perseverance of what it means to be a follower of Christ. All you need to do is ask. All you need to do is seek. All you need to do is knock. Now, Although this passage is not about asking for material things, it it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray about material things because other passages instruct us to do just that. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. In Philippians 4, 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 6 of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, we, we, we see where God says, Do not be anxious for anything. Because you are God. How much more will your heavenly Father give to those compared to the birds or the flowers of the field? And so we know it's, it's okay, but this is not the context of this passage Jesus is commanding us to pray and to ask and to seek and to keep knocking for the life-transforming knowledge of God that we might be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. You are to seek for the life-transforming knowledge of God. That, that is what Jesus is saying. In, in Proverbs 2, he is making it clear, the Lord makes it clear through this passage a a familiar passage to you. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. That is what Jesus is after here. Are you praying? Yeah, you pray for your friends who are sick. You pray for your children who are in need. Yes, you pray for finances when you're, when you're troubled. Yes, you pray for sin when, to be forgiven when you struggle. But... This passage, this passage is about seeking after 
the knowledge of God. Confidence to ask and confidence to seek and confidence to not comes from the heavenly pro- Father's promise to meet our, our greatest need, the knowledge of him. Paul, Paul had this in his heart. He said in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. You want to know Christ? You want to know Christ? Ask. And you will receive. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. Brothers and sisters, after the gift of salvation, there is nothing more important than growing in our knowledge of Christ. To be given what we ask for, to find what we are seeking, and to have the door open so that we might know Christ is the purpose of these commands. It's what our Savior is after. And that is the promise he gives us in our need because we have great need. We cannot fulfill the Sermon on the Mount in our own merit. That is the need that we have. This this sermon, this sermon, if you've been following along with us, studying the sermon, this sermon exposes who we truly are and the need we have for a Savior. But brothers and sisters, it also reveals how blessed we are to have a heavenly Father who sent that Savior, who sent his own Son, who promises to meet all our needs by answering our prayers for help. But we need to ask and we need to seek and we need to knock and we need to trust that he is not reluctant to give us what we need. That's, that's the first point. He promises to give us what we need. Secondly, there's a contrast of epic proportions to illustrate this. Jesus uses an illustration to demonstrate how faithful and loving God is towards his children. He does this by painting a, a vast contrast between an earthly father who by nature is evil born in original sin, but still gives good things to their children, and our Heavenly Father, who is holy, and He is pure, and He is good, and He is kind, and He desires to give His children only good things. Jesus' point is, there's no comparison between the two. There's no comparison between the good things an earthly father gives and a heavenly father gives. And then he uses a phrase that he used in the, in the section on not being anxious. And he says in verse, in verse 11, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? Isn't that the refrain that became so encouraging when we were reading, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And prior to that, Jesus again and again saying, How much more will your heavenly father care for those who need food and clothing? How much more does your heavenly father love those more than the birds of the air, more than the lilies of the field? How much more? And here Jesus says, listen, in your need, your need to grow into a a spiritual man or a spiritual woman, how much more is your heavenly father committed to seeing you do that? And so ask and seek and knock. 
There's a, there's a parallel passage in, in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus says very similar things. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not to temptation. And he said to them, and then he says, he gives a parable. He says, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and you will knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those? Who ask him. There's a key difference there. The main point of that parable is not primarily about persistent prayer. That's not the main point of the parable. And that's actually not the main point of this passage. It's not about persistent prayer. That's a part of our prayer. That's how we're commanded to pray. But the It's not about our fervency of prayer. It's not about how hard we pray. It's not about how long we pray. But rather, Jesus is illustrating in Luke and in Matthew the contrast between the reluctant neighbor and when we come to our Heavenly Father. He is eager. He is more than willing. He is desirous to answer your prayers. That's what that parable is about. God is never reluctant to answer your prayers. How much more, Jesus says. So think of who you are coming to when you pray. When when you're struggling with sin, when you have doubts, when you're lacking assurance, when you're weary or anxious or unsure of the request that you're making before the Lord, your heavenly father know who he is. He is quick to forgive, quick to provide grace, quick to show mercy and eager to answer your prayers and give us the good things you need. So good, he says in Luke, that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. God gives us himself in the person of the Spirit, that we might know what is right and discern what is true and be convicted when we are wrong and comforted when we are grieving and empowered when we are weak and secure when we have doubts because he promised to give us the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our salvation. But understand this. God alone 
knows what is good for you. God alone knows what is good for you. I often think I know what is good for me. But God alone knows what is good for me. God alone knows what is good and best for us. And sometimes that means he wisely determines what is good for us is unanswered prayer. He's simply saying to you, now is not the best time for me to answer that prayer. But everything I give you will be good, even when I deny what you think is good for you. Brothers and sisters, this is the good that God has done for you. He has saved you. He has saved you. He's regenerated you through the working of the Holy Spirit. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he has forgiven you. He has cleansed you and he has promised to raise you from the dead. The father is not reluctant to give the Holy Spirit to his children who need grace and power to live. He is willing to give his son on our behalf to suffer for our sins and to die for our sins. That is who our heavenly father is. That is the picture of who our father is that Jesus is painting in this verse. And until until the final day, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with us. He will dwell in us. He will transform us. And all we need to do is ask. All we need to do is seek. All we need to do is knock because our Heavenly Father is eager to answer our prayers. Do you pray like that? What makes up the body of your prayers? Do you pray like this? God is eager to answer. Listen, there's never been a sinner asking for mercy that was turned away. There's never been someone who sought the Lord that did not find him. There has never been someone who knocked and the door of grace remained closed. What makes up your prayers? As with, now, as every sermon, there is application. Consider these application questions and which one might possibly apply to you. Is there a principle for you to follow that you haven't been following? Is there a sin to confess, like unbelief, that you've been struggling with in prayer? Is there a sin to be avoided as you hear these words read from our Savior? Uh, A sin of self-sufficiency where you don't pray? Or is there a blessing to be enjoyed as you remember receiving from God? seeing him open the door, finding what you needed? Or is there an example to follow as we see in Matthew 6, 9, the Lord's Prayer? Or is there an assurance you need that God really does love you? And we read how much more. We have a heavenly father who is dedicated to his children. Father, thank you for your word that reminds us 
of your love for us, your son's sacrifice for us, and your willingness to remain with us, persevere with us until that final day when we will see you face to face. Oh, God, help us to be men and women in Grace Church who pray, who ask, who seek, who knock and experience the transforming work of your spirit for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.